there, our friend Dave And that means it's another episode with Whiskey Unscripted. Gordon and us, this is Series 7, Episode 7. How are you? Well, I mean, I'm very well. I mean, it's good to be back. We've been a bit busy, hence the episodes have slowed down a little bit. But we've got this one and probably another couple maybe before Christmas. We'll see. Yes. And then we will come back in the new year. But all good. More and more people... Listening to the podcast, I was out and about at uh, an event on Wednesday, and a guy comes up to me and he goes, "How do I know your voice?" And I was like, uh, <laughs> "Well, I do a lot of voiceovers on adverts and stuff." He went, "No, it's not that." I said, uh, "No, you're right. It's not that. It's um, <laughs> podcast, maybe." That's it. He says, "That's oh, it." Yes, oh, very good. I had the same as well last Friday. There, that's, that's very nice. And at Bucking Bowling Club, shout out to Scott and the the guys there. He was listening to the last episode so no it's getting out there gordon and um we just need to find a bit more time to do it which is difficult with you traveling and me traveling this is a busy time of the year we have to get out into market and see people but no all good and good to be back the silly season it's been called gordon just so many events happening out there whiskey is really i mean it's maybe always always thus but it seems to be very very busy this year but in a great way lots of events Lots of festivals. Whiskey yeah, look, I think I think it is busy. I think, um, hey, if I'm honest, I think you know, uh, I think the market's a little different to what it was a couple of years ago, but uh, still in a really good place. And um, whiskey's going well, and um, we're uh, we're excited to be in this fantastic industry that we work in. So no, it's it's um, it's uh, it's just interesting, you know. We were I was out in China, and um, you know, China's not functioning the way it normally does. It's a little bit off slightly off the off the sort of path it normally sits on so you know these kind of things have an impact but ultimately you know really really good uh really good industry things going well all is well and i'm off to holland on yes thursday to probably one of the biggest whiskey festivals in terms of numbers uh i mean i think if you go around europe you've been to many of them gordon i mean i think um i would put the sort of four whiskey festivals that you should probably try and go to as probably the whiskey show in london whiskey live in paris is fantastic uh the hague which is the biggest one in the netherlands not holland uh and probably frankfurt which is the biggest one in germany which is coming up soon as well yeah that's the weekend after next so these are these are great whiskey festivals to go and see in and also a curveball for me would be it's a, a podcast special on the good ship Cinderella out of Stockholm. <laughs> if you can get to that festival, <laughs> I would highly recommend it. <laughs> but these are great whiskey festivals. Gordon, I, we're going to bring you one from Las Vegas, but very quickly, what are you drinking? Oh, I, I well, mean, well, good point. Well, I'll tell you what I've got here, actually, uh, which I'm going to drink uh, is the... I found this at the back of a cupboard. I've not drunk it for about um, two or three uh, years since it, well, two years since it came out, which is the 18-year-old Tamdu cask strength. This is the one that came out two years ago at the Spirit of Speyside Whiskey Festival. Only a thousand bottles of this ever came out. And uh, it's basically a cask strength edition of the new 18-year-old. And it is, you know, European oak forward, that beautiful sort of dark, berry, cherry note on the nose. Um, thick, beautiful, 56.8% alcohol, I think. Nice. Beautiful whiskey. 
very in demand. We're only a thousand bottles, but um, a, a beautiful higher strength edition of the limited time to eat. Lovely. And I think the uh, moral of the story is get into Gordon Dundas's cupboards because you do not know what is back there because that looks absolutely tremendous. We were facing the 18 Tamdu on Friday night and I did ask for some questions and we got an interesting question about, I was mentioning first fills, refills, yes. and just wanted a little bit more information of what that meant. And the question was, is it more prestigious to have a first fill than a refill? Gordon, over to you. What would you have said? Um, no. I don't think that's right at all. I mean, I think if you, in a very simple way, if we look at the composition of a whiskey, um, there's this phrase that says X percentage of flavor comes from the cask in a whiskey. And I think you look at across the, the whiskey spectrum and even within our portfolio, you look at one end is you know, maybe something like the cigar malt or the 18-year-old cask strength or the teapot dram or from from Glengoyne and Tamdu, they're at that one end of lots of first fill, you know, and they're beautiful whiskies. Mm -hmm. um, and probably a little bit more of that higher percentage of cask influence over flavor, over spirit character. Then you have whiskies like the 15 Glengoyne, 15-year-old um Tamdu sit more in that middle where you bring in some refill and then you have something like Rosebank at completely the other end where everything was refilled. So it's not a matter of prestige, it's a matter of style and what you want to drink. So, for example, um, you know, if you if you go out for dinner, you want a really rich chocolate dessert, you don't get very much of it, do you? You get a little pot of it, you know, and it's probably just enough to... It's a little bit like that. You could probably... Refills are really important. They're not less prestigious. They're really important to shine through that spirit character of the distillery. And that's why they're used in single malts by every producer. And there's some distilleries that don't like first fills full stop. No, totally. Yeah, absolutely right. And if you, I've said this many times, if you ask 10 distillery managers and you sat them, on a, sat them in a row and said, what's your favorite type of cask? 75% of them would probably say refills because it's shining through that spirit character that they producing their stills so not a matter of prestigious at all it's a matter of style and what that that those casts deliver or sometimes don't over deliver into a whiskey that's interesting look at what? six aisles as a prime example six aisles what a whisk we love six aisles if I you don't it. drink six aisles you're missing out and that is a very light colored whiskey um, all about that spirit character shining through of six distilleries from isla all in one bottle um, Not from Isla, from the I, islands, sorry. Well, one from Isla, well, all in one bottle. So very light in colour as we get it. Another prime example of a refill whiskey, big flavours, big spirit character, fabulous. Less colour, though. Yeah, yeah. That's what we get. Yeah, and I'm holding up just because I'm going to go to Las Vegas very shortly. I thought to see what it was in my cupboards, and I've got a West Bottoms Whiskey Co. Kansas City what? Whiskey. West Bottoms. So this okay. is Kansas City, and it is some perfect blend of bourbon and rye whiskey with notes of Oloroso sherry. Whoa, mm. look at that. So You're drinking that. Nice. Sounds good. It's just bourbon. You've got rye there. And what we discussed in Vegas was just that sort of mash bill, that experimentation. We're going to hear from Cave uh, Zamanian 
who owns Rabbit Hole Distillery, and he talks about a four grain triple malt. He talks about a high rye, a high rye double malt. And then we go and hear from Oregon Spirit Distillers Brad Irwin, who's talking about wheat and rye combinations. Mm. And these experimentations, Gordon, happening mm. all over. I would say the whiskey industry now. Totally. And I think, you know, in, in Scotland, we don't see a lot of this. We see a little bit more of it. But, you know, if you were to, and this is the slight idiosyncrasies of the Scottish whiskey industry, but if you were to, you know, single malt obviously is 100% malted barley. There's no mash bill. That's all it is. So if we move that to one side, well, what else can, so if you were to produce a 100% rye whiskey in Scotland, that would be a, from one distillery, that would be a single grain whiskey. Yeah. Uh, now, if you were to then to make a, um, even if it's in pot stills, it can't, you know, it, it's still a single grain. That's the point. It's the nature of how we describe it. So our ability to talk the way these guys are about mash bills is a little bit limited in Scotland because we have our very sort of rigid classification of, you know, a single malt is a single malt. And then, you know, a, 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 a blended a, a, a blended yeah. malt is malts blended together, um, single grain and grain. That's ba- and blended. That's what we have. So, it's um, it, it, we don't talk the same language a little bit. So it's interesting just to to hear actually the mash bills and what they're actually going to talk about. And and if I'm honest, I think it's great to see this diversity coming through, um, because. I mean, arguably, and I'm a big bourbon fan, bourbon is a little bit narrow in its taste profile. Uh, I mean, there is diversity within it, but you can only use one cask. You can only, you know, you need to use corn to a certain percentage. You need to char the cask, you know, however, all these things. But there is diversity within that. But um, yeah, to see all these other things coming out is great. But, oh, but listen, uh, our, 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 I think Cavi mentions about bourbon being 51% corn, 49% possibility. It's a great quote. And yeah. we're going to zip you across now to Las Vegas. It was a tough gig, Gordon. I can um, imagine. You, 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 you can you me... just, before we go, could you just talk us through your, your... So you went to America for the first time. I wasn't aware when you went to Texas. You went to Dallas. Dallas did, does yeah. Dallas. I did, he did. And you went there, and, and you casually said, as you we were discussing before, you went, I've never been to America before. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is your first time. So you went to Dallas. You went, you, you had the homecoming gig in Dallas. And then you went to Vegas. I mean, there's two, you could have gone to sleepy North Carolina or, no, no, Vegas. Straight how was your Vegas experience? What did you think of the strip? I was expect, I didn't know what to expect apart from big and, but it exceeded expectations. I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought the strip was extraordinary. And what's nice about the trip is you go to these liquor stores and real people that actually live in Vegas work and they know the regular customers who come in, you meet them. There's actually normal people that live in Vegas. Yes, the strip is something completely off off the map and often they don't go there. It just brings in lots of revenue, generates, I think the South Strip liquor store for Total Wine and More, one of the biggest by value stores in America because some of the high rollers get in there just buying the top level whiskies. So mm. it is extraordinary in one hand, but then it was a lovely normal visit to see normal people in their, their work environment. So it was two halves, Gordon, but I have to mm. say the strip was extraordinary. And of course, if you've not seen it yet, the sphere, that big uh, LED mm-hmm. auditorium, which is uh, screens everywhere inside um, 
U2 were doing their residency there and then the mm -hmm. plane on the way over there was loads of U2 fans there and mm -hmm. back so it's a massive draw for Vegas that as well and, and you were over there from you were there with an Isle of Sky hat on were you not yes we do a blended whiskey called Isle of Sky and we're it's a blend and it's, it's fabulous it's, a, it's just it speaks the language of single malt but it's a great blend so it's a great conversation to have mm -hmm. starts at age 8 and goes up to 30 it's an amazing range of blends. I don't think there's another range of blends quite like it. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to try a fabulous uh, uh, blended whiskey, high malt content, definitely have a look at Isla Sky. So you're there to sell the whiskey. And also a part of it is selling the island. Where is the Isle of Sky? So that you're off mm. on, a, on a conversation as well. And many, many people across here have had relatives or ancestors so it was yeah. a great trip, Gordon. Right. So and I managed to squeeze in a wee bit of David Copperfield, the magician extraordinaire. Anyway, great oh, yeah. night. And the culmination was Whiskey on the Rocks, a whiskey festival, Red Rock Casino. And that's where we pick up um, some of our great guests that you're going to hear right now. So take it away. Okay, whiskey comes in very strange guises sometimes. And we're not quite yet at Whiskey on the Rocks. We will talk whiskey, but at the moment in Las Vegas, we're at the hottest new attraction, Area 15, obviously riffing off Area 51. This is very psychedelic, very trippy. It's the best museum you could ever wish to go and visit. And obviously we're lost at the moment. We're having a, a little walk round. And I can just say welcome to the Las Vegas part of Whiskey Unscripted. And we're going to go right now to the Las Vegas Strip and then to Whiskey in the Rocks. But this is some place. So sit back and enjoy your Whiskey Unscripted. Well, we're just going to you know, getting on for a almost quarter to ten here at Whiskey in the Rocks. And of course it's organised by... Total Wine and more. Who are they? You're maybe asking. Um, I think I might have a gentleman to tell us. Cody, um, could you tell me who you are and what Total Wine and More is? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Cody Van Dusen. I'm one of the buyers uh, at Total Wine and More. Total Wine and More is the largest U.S. spirits retailer. We have about 250 stores in 28 states. See that again? 250 stores in 28 states. Oh my goodness, that is that's quite a spread. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this evening is, well, what is this evening? What, 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 why Whiskey on the Rocks? Right, so Whiskey on the Rocks really is a celebration to bring producers in to highlight um, whiskeys from all around the world. So tonight we have over, I think, 250 different whiskeys. Oh, well, let's walk and talk. Yeah, so absolutely. So there's uh, 500 tickets available. We do this uh, every year that we can. Um, in beautiful Las Vegas, um, and you know, 40 tickets go first for VIP. There's a master distillers dinner that we host, okay. um, whiskey pairings with a uh, four or five course meal, um, and the distillers get to talk all about their product and, and, and the, the pairings. And then again, we have a beautiful night. Um, producers to come show off their favorite whiskeys that you can find. Some only in Total Wine and More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've mentioned on this podcast before about Total Wine and More, how, yeah. how uh, the UK really could do with something like that, where you get such passionate and knowledgeable people right. selling good wine and spirit, whereas possibly in our country, and of course people listening to this from other countries, but in our country, the UK, it's kind of food retailers. 
that that are in charge. I'm right. not too sure they know half as much as you guys know. Would that be fair? Yeah, absolutely. So Total Wine More, we have over 10,000 store team members that are essentially brand ambassadors for the products on our shelves. Uh, we um, are really passionate about education of our store teams, um, and they know so much about wine, spirits, beer, uh, you name it, that's in our stores. Well, what we do sometimes on this podcast is sort of insider's guides to... Sometimes it's mashing, two, sure. sometimes it's blending, two, why not, right now, to buying. Now, how, how you know, there's thousands and thousands of whiskies out there. How do you go around working out which one, this is whisky unscripted, even just in the whiskies, not need to go into details sure. of individual ones, but sure. how do you go about it? Yeah, so really it's what our customers are looking for. Um, we, you know, look at our shelves, we see what we're missing, what trends are going on, and we have, you know, great relationships with partners around the world uh, where we can source the liquid from. And, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity to, for myself to learn about, you know, different trends in the, the spirits industry, specifically uh, whiskey and scotch, um, and ultimately trying to surprise and delight our, our customers every day. Yeah, what are the trends going on? And I could just say we've had rabbit hole here tonight mm-hmm. and the experimentation with the mash bill really really nice that's a trend i would imagine anything else out there that i really think you know people are really um exploring different cast finishes i think it's really interesting to see you know a scotch distillery has their you know base characteristic across their different age statements um but to see you know finishing it in a sakura cask what does that do to the spirit um so i think it's a awesome way to sort of explore within um you know the scotch industry the bourbon industry um what you know and love and how aging in a different type of barrel um what effects it has on on the spirit it's, it's quite exciting isn't it, it, it the category it now for a while it was maybe static and then all these new players are coming on the market and doing something quite exceptional yeah innovation really is i think the key uh to continue to like i said surprise and delight consumers keep them thirsty and exploring more within the category now, you're a very good person to speak to uh, because the stores i've been in in texas and in vegas mm-hmm. tequila is really it's big isn't it um would you say that's number one spirit in the u.s i'd say right now that's the number one trending spirit um the newest trend within the the tequila category is additive free so you know going back to being you know more health conscious what what is in this that i'm drinking um i think tequila is sort of setting the precedence for sort of reevaluating what you know what is in this glass and and you know looking for not necessarily just premium but also purity in the in the liquid that they're drinking and whiskey uh, how's that going at the moment because in the past it's you know tailed off but Mm -hmm. from where i'm standing it's you know very robust but from where you guys are as a category whiskey yeah absolutely i i think there's not enough whiskey in the world right now um you know there's allocations across you know all the big major players um and uh you know consumers are are definitely trying to pry it off the shelf so we're excited for that enthusiasm from our customers um and looking forward to uh, having access to more allocation as the years go yeah, on. That's, that's, hopefully, more whiskey's getting laid down. You just can't, you just can't build, make right, it. You right. can't invent it. And you know, w- with bourbon, you know, you wait three, four years and you got it. Scotch, if you want, you know, the great stuff. That's 18, 21, oh, yeah. 25 years. Yeah, so, yeah. and finally, Cody, you've been very good taking time out. I've got two questions. Yeah. One, could you just give a wee shout out for? I know you can't name everyone, but just give us a shout, get a flavor of who's here tonight. 
Right, absolutely. So um, we have consumers from all over the world, really. We have Oregon Spirit, uh, based in uh, Bend, Oregon, um, going to uh, Whistlepig here to my right. Yeah. Uh, of course, the exceptional Ian McLeod Distillers. Um, representing, representing Japan, we have the Shibui uh, with IND Beverages. Um, wow. You've got your Balvenies, your Glenfiddichs, Ardbegs. Uh, from Texas, we have Iron Root Distillery with the Lacarche Brothers, um, Hunter Lang uh, from Scotland, uh, and you know countless others. Oh, so. it's just a f- fantastic night! And that's my final question. Um, I've asked a couple of people on the podcast, but could you just describe? this place and why you chose it because this is fabulous yeah absolutely so to paint the picture we're in at the red rock casino uh, about 10 minutes off the strip in las vegas outside in their pool area that you know really fans out we have booths all around um really just vibrant atmosphere uh we have great food great music of course great whiskey um my favorite was the mashed potato stand uh with four or five different mashed potatoes uh, to choose from uh, and, you know, we did a raffle earlier for 10 allocated items and um, also donated $10,000 to a uh, local charity. Oh. So it's so a really great event, um, great spirits, uh, really joyful, uh, celebrating together with a, a good dram. And we'll put up some photographs online to see that there's swimming pools behind some of these stands. That's right, and yeah. that, that's fiendish. Yeah. No, no one's fell the hill yet, yeah. There's been a few close calls. I myself, you know. <laughs> Try not to get too close to the pool. So, <laughs> listen, Cody, thank you so much. Thank uh, you, great event. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. Well, here are the saga continues walking rounds Red Rock Casino, and I've chanced upon a wonderful bourbon. Sir, could you tell me what your name is and what I'm drinking? Sure. My name is Cave Zamanian. I'm the founder and whiskey maker at Rabbit Hole Distillery in Kentucky. And what you're drinking yes. is a weeded bourbon that's finished in Pedro Jimenez sherry casks, but it's a very special sherry cask because these sherry casks held sherry in their belly for 25 years before they were passed on to us. And you're drinking it at cask strength. This is 102.1 proof. Well, I tell you what, I would not have got, I would not have guessed that. Yeah. That is so smooth and it's a lovely, lovely fruitiness on the the palate and a lovely bit of spice, which I like as well. But could you explain the we call it the mash bill, I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, we, yeah. We, all we know is 51% bourbon is the rules, but what's yeah. in this? And- yeah, for me, you know, look, the, the, the light bulb moment when I got in the business was that bourbon is 51% corn, 49% possibility. What that means is, for me, bourbon is very similar to the culinary tradition. My approach is I always start with the ingredients. We, for bourbon, have that base corn, and then we play around, especially with a lot of different malted grains. I think that malted grains impart a lot more flavor, a lot more character, and ultimately you get a very, very unique um, whiskey. So when you look at our core lineup, um, I've got basically three different bourbon recipes. I got a weeded finished in PX, I got a four grain triple malt, and I got a high rye double malt. So these are all very, very different uh, uh, expressions, and it's all based on you know, beyond the corn, variation of all the other grains that I've used. And when you get the new mix spirit, when it comes out the still, is it quite significantly different depending on the grain that you put into yeah, the mash? Yeah, you can definitely, um, on the taste and the, the bouquet, you definitely see the difference. And I will tell you, I, I would love for you to taste, I got two bourbons that have the same 70% corn. One is called Cave Hill, the other one's called uh, High Gold. 
That's the four grain triple malt and a high rye double malt. But 30% of the ingredients are different and when you taste them, you're gonna see what those 30% ingredients do. Very different. It's funny that because for years and years in Scotland been seeing the, the, the type of barley that we use is mostly for yields yeah. and for alcoholic yields. Yeah. But what you're able to do here is, we've got to use multi-barley but you're able to sort of experiment away with them. Yeah, um, yeah 100%. Greens. And you know, and honestly, for me, a bit of the inspiration was the craft beer guys. You know, when they start experimenting with a lot of different grains, yeah. malts and hops, I think that was really kind of the opening for us as well to say, okay, well, within the parameters of bourbon, there's a lot of room to experiment, and that's what Rabbit Hole's about. I love it. Uh, what, two words, two questions. Yeah. Number one, why Rabbit Hole? So uh, I was a psychologist for 20 years. <laughs> Closed my practice to get in the game. My wife used to say, you're going to take the family down the rabbit hole with this crazy idea. And that's how Rabbit Hole was born. Number two was, what did you do before? <laughs> I was, yeah, that's right. I was, it was different kind of medicine. How about that? Oh, that's a great idea. And one final question. What do you think of this? You mean this the, is my first time here in Red Rock. Uh, this what do you think of this event? Uh, this is a spectacular event. It's fantastic. There's so many amazing uh, producers here, and it's just lovely to be able to walk around and taste so many great whiskeys under one, one place. That's great. So listen, yeah. I'm going to stop the recording now, and we'll maybe start the tasting. Yeah, please. Let's do it. <laughs> so what, you just take me through. We're back in the tasting. Okay, so we got two bourbons that we're going to taste here. We got a four grain triple malt and a high rye double malt. The first one you're tasting is a four grain triple malt. It's 70% corn, 10% malted wheat, 10% malted barley, and 10% honey malted barley. Wow. That is absolutely delicious. And we, we smooth as well. That, you're getting that smoothness associated with bourbon, but behind that is a lovely little nip in my tongue. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and the funny thing is I used to... Uh, you know, I drank a lot of scotch. This is the only bourbon that you see on the market that the secondary flavoring grain is barley. You got two different kinds of barleys coming together, that honey malted barley and then just the regular standard malted barley. And that honey malted barley How brings- How do they do that, honey malted barley? So, you know, they just, great maltsters play around with temperature and humidity to yep. just organically bring certain flavors out of the grain. And that's basically it. So no honey is added. It's just essentially the honey flavors that are already in the grain are coming out or accentuated. Okay. Now I want you to taste this one. This is basically, this is a high rye double malt. This is also 70% corn, but you got 25% malted rye, and then the balance of it is malted barley. So only 30% is different. Very, very different whiskey. Oh yeah. And that's what I wanted yeah, to show yeah. you. I wanted to put right them to the next to each other to just show you how the recipes that's influence the whiskey. As I keep on repeating myself, it's something we can't do in Scotland, but to see someone experimenting with that mash bill yeah. and using different sort of grains in there is fascinating. Well, I appreciate it, man. That's what's, to me, that's what's really exciting right now about bourbon. Oh, yeah, it is. And, yeah, yeah. you know, that's kind of the direction that I'm hoping the industry would go. That, you know, there's something magical about blending and maturation, but for us, we have an opportunity to play around with grains in ways that historically people have not. And if you have to say, it's maybe been a little bit one-dimensional in the past. Yes. Yeah, oh, I agree, I, okay. I agree with you. I agree with you. Absolutely. And that's certainly anything but one-dimensional. That's yeah. wonderful. Well, Listen, thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure, my friend. And we will um, share this link with you. And look we'll forward to it. Great. Thank you. So we are now at the Oregon Spirit Distillers. And uh, sir, I don't know your name. But I, I 
I was acquainted with your whiskey a couple of days ago in the stores. So what is your name and could you explain Oregon Spirit Distillers? Uh, absolutely. My name is Brad Irwin and I'm the owner of Oregon Spirit Distillers. We're in Oregon, of course. Good name for a yeah, distillery yeah. in Oregon. Uh, we're fo focused on using Oregon grown grain to make American style whiskey. We make three expressions. Okay. We make uh, American wheat whiskey, a bourbon whiskey, and an American rye whiskey. Now when did this start? And what, what 50, you, uh, 2008. Wow. We live in the high desert in Oregon. The water there is fantastic. Lots of great grain, access to all the resources you need to make great whiskey. And why why do that, not do something else? Um, I, um, your normal job? <laughs> what, 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 what made you decide? I'm not very good at jobs. <laughs> right? And uh, everybody else I know owns a brewery and I don't like beer. So uh, we started a whiskey distillery. My wife and I started a whiskey oh. distillery in 2008. And, and how's uh, it been? How's it gone? Outstanding. We, yeah. We're 22 people now. We're in 26 states in the United States. and. Things are amazing. Now, I asked you to pour me something before the interview started. Yes. Um, what was it? This is my favorite whiskey. Okay. Uh, it is our uh, American wheat whiskey, so it's not bourbon. Uh, it's made from wheat, uh, which is Oregon is known for making, growing great wheat. Does uh, have a little bit of malted barley. You'll find some rice at the end. It's a five-year product, um, very approachable. And matured in uh, uh, American bourbon uh, uh, barrels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. American white oak. Oh yeah. my goodness. Nice easy approach, gentle. But a lovely, which I love, a lovely little bite and some pepper and some lovely spice at the back of my palate. Maybe some complexity at the end, oh. yeah. Still works on you for a little while. What, nice what, linger. What's the strength, sorry? That's at 100 proof. So that'd be over 50 ABV. Yep, yep. Wow, yep. that's absolutely lovely. Yep, yep. And you've got um, plans for the future. What's the, what's the, the game. We continue to grow with uh, three different whiskies, and uh, next year you'll see an American single malt from us as well. Now that's interesting. Malted barley, okay. beautiful, aged five years, uh, a lot of fruit notes. Is there many people doing this? We, we read a little bit more about the single malt in America. Um, a, a lot of distilleries, particularly in the northwest of, of the United States, are, are doing a lot of uh, experimentation with barley because it grows so well. But uh, 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 American single malt isn't known as well as other other regions for barley, uh, but there's some fantastic innovation coming out, and, really, and we really, want to be part of it. There really is, and if you have to say, you say this is five years old. Yes, yeah, wow. it's a five year. Yeah. Wow. You know, you know, you taste some whiskeys, and you can you, you know they're five years old. Yeah. But this yeah. tastes much older. I appreciate you. I don't know if it's the weather yeah. or the yeah. climate in Oregon. Uh, so we live in a dry climate. Uh, it's in the high desert. It's cold, uh, but and we get plenty of heat, but. Um, uh, in the summertime, uh, but dark, dry climate. Uh, so we, all of our barrels, we see our, our proof go up over the course of their maturation. Yeah. Uh, so we have a fairly low entry proof uh, because to compensate for that. Wow. So, yeah. Well, listen, continue success. I appreciate Sounds it. Sounds like a, a, a yeah. great products. And, yeah. and just one word about tonight. What do you think? Uh, what an amazing event. This is our first time to this event. Of, same you know, here. Yeah, same yeah, here. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Why can't so they all be like this? Had, right? yeah. I don't want to do... Uh, tasting without a casino in a pool. <laughs> exactly. That's good by riders yeah, from yeah, now on. Yeah, an amazing day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. See you next year. Yes. Right? Yeah. Cheers. Bye-bye.
It's totally conversational. That's how it should be. Here we are. But, that, but that's just it. It should be conversational. What you like, what I like, what he likes, and we compare. And you just mentioned you guys riff off of each other about your whiskies. So what's your name, guys? And uh, how have you enjoyed the evening so far? Oh, enjoyed the evening quite well. Uh, yeah, what's your name? In, in, my name is Rob. These uh, these whiskies are amazing. The 21-year-old is unbelievably delicate, and yet it has great flavor to it. What do you think, Bob? I, I, I love it. I, I enjoy the conversation with you as much as I do the whiskey. Because that's what it's about. If you're having a glass of whiskey, you should be having it with your friends, enjoying it and talking about things, and your conversation has made this oh, great. phenomenal. Great. Listen, uh, Las Vegas, most people listening might just think Las Vegas is a strip. It's all... Tell us a little bit about the whiskey and about about Las Vegas and what you drink here. You know, paint a picture of what's happening. Well, the, the scary thing is I can get better whiskeys here than my brother can in Kentucky where it's made, which is <laughs> which is crazy. And a lot of it's because out here they don't know about it as much. And everybody in Kentucky knows about the whiskeys. Everybody knows about the bourbons. Yeah, yeah. I'm lucky out here because I might get to, I can sneak in and get something that it's sold out there, but I can get it here. So is bourbon big in Vegas? What what's going down? This is whiskey unscripted. So what's going down in the whiskey scene in Vegas? Well, bourbon isn't that well known here in Las Vegas, but it is starting to come in. It's starting to make a name. You're here at the Bourbon Festival here in Las Vegas, Red Rock Casino, right? My friend and myself, we're bourbon guys, so we enjoy this this atmosphere, right? And, and as for you, well, you're amazing because you're giving us an education that we don't have on your area of expertise. You gotta understand that. For example, I would never buy a 21-year-old Irish whiskey in a store. Doesn't matter the price because I don't have that. I had the stigma that it's not gonna taste right. This tonight shows me that that bottle is worth buying because now now I know what it tastes like. And I would never buy it in the store because I'm just gonna go. It's a shot in the dark. I'm about to play the lottery. There's thousands of bottles and I don't know what any of them taste like. But this thing, this event allows us to at least try them. Like you said, we, we, we talk to each other, we get to talk to you, you talk about things. And and you mentioned about tonight's event, very quickly, what's, what's apart from ours, what's done what's done the business for you guys? Uh, the Japanese whiskey over there, uh, I think it's Sobu, uh-huh. is phenomenal. Is it? And then and then the, they had an experimental bottle at the Buffalo, Buffalo Trace. Buffalo Trace. You were seeing it's the master distiller. Yes. Yeah, yes. only yes. tonight's event only. He, put, he, he took it from the cast for this event only. So it's not even available in stores. And it's 142. What are you talking about? Isles of Sky. It's, it's unbelievable. You guys are <laughs> you amazing. Guys, you guys are hired. You're hired. <laughs> you guys are amazing. You're, you're, you're hired. Your help is amazing. Very knowledgeable. We enjoy it. The, the 12 and the 21 are amazing. If you've never tried it, please try oh, it. You're not, please you're not try it. Right. More, more for these chicken. <laughs> you have you have the Las Vegas stamp of approval. Yeah, oh, bro. We will yeah. be back. We will be back. Look out for yeah. Guys, yeah. thank you so. for joining yeah. us on Whiskey Unscripted. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for having us. There was, well. I have to say, we were outside in the pool area. That's, I've never done a whiskey festival with a pool. And, and mm. there was more than one pool in this area of casino. So actually, our pop-ups, banners, both fell in yep. the pool. Bit of wind, they were in the pool. This I, mean, is... I would imagine it was a bit different from maybe doing a whiskey sort of tasting at the time capsule in Footbridge. Uh, <laughs> just that was great. But as a, as a little conversation to end that, gambling big in Vegas, but whiskey, can you make a parallel between some of the gambles 
that have happened in whiskey. And I'm thinking, who would have thought, you know what, I'll build a vertical distillery in the port of Leith. You know, that's one uh-huh. potentially gamble. Yeah. People are putting millions of pounds into these investments right now as yeah. whiskey's expanding and booming. And maybe you can look back in the past and thought, whoop, that was a gamble. Uh, that was a gamble. So this is Whiskey Unscripted. You did not know this subject, but off the top of your head, Gordon, we ah. gambled in whiskey. And I'm and thinking... Think if, well, you start. Well, you you were at Arden the Merkin. We talked mm-hmm. about that a few episodes ago in the podcast. You know, mm-hmm. that's an independent bottler. Is that Delphi? Yep. Decide to find one of the most remotest corners of Scotland. <laughs> yep. And open up a distillery. Uh, now, yeah. do you say I that's mean, a gamble? Uh, well, I mean, I think the location is... The location is... I mean, it's like Nick Nian, which is out that way as well. By the crow flies, they're very close, but not by any other way. And they are literally, you know, out on a out on a limb. And, and you do think, as a modern whiskey industry now, if we think of the geographical nature of Scotch, it's down to history. It's not really down to anything else. Um, so from a from a practicality perspective and from a you know a perspective of making whiskey, being out where Ardnamurkin is, I mean it's fabulous, gorgeous, beautiful. I mean, of course, ultimately, yeah. you know, over time the sort of um you know, where they are, I think, will have a small impact on the whiskey, etc. over time in a cask. But uh, you could probably make a very similar whiskey in the in a suburb of Glasgow, you know, in a modern whiskey world. And um, it just makes you wonder the wide geography that still happens in this industry is um, is an interesting one because I think it's probably less necessary now if you know what i mean but yeah. it, i look they're doing a great job and and both of those brands are doing a great and job another one that shows you is, is somewhat pindern the welsh whiskey i mean mm. that's was that 20 odd years ago there wasn't many distilleries yeah. opening up maybe you could think of the cotswolds maybe the the, the one in norfolk as well oh, pindern i might think pindern was like there was maybe an english whiskey just there was an english whiskey in nor in norwich and pindern opened up and there wasn't any other whiskey south of the border 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And they came out with a very unique way of doing it, and Pendarin's got a very high new make strength. Um, uh, Jim Swan, I think, was involved with yeah. them and um, produced a really unique whiskey, and, yeah, good luck to them. They're building a second distillery, I think, aren't they? Have they built one? Something yes, like that. yes, that's right. North, North yeah. Hills, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah so, good. yeah, that's nice. I just thought some gambles in the whiskey industry. There's more. I think the other one is if you look at bourbon, I mean, you know, Let's go to the land of America. I used to go to Kentucky uh, a lot, and um, I think there's literally about um, there was nine or ten distilleries when I went there in twenty, you know, two thousand five. I used to go to two thousand six. Used to go to the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, which is brilliant in late September, and you know there was Jim Beam, there was you know Buffalo yeah. Trace, there was Four Roses, there was Wild Turkey, there was really all those sort of make big names and beyond that there was none of now the massive amount of bourbons even in kentucky but beyond in america and i think probably one of the if you look at it and the diversity of bourbons firstly we we all know that a lot of the bourbons actually didn't come from these distilleries they all came from a a distillery in indiana called mgp which i think you know sort of off the shelf bourbons while their own bourbon matured for long enough, which is, 
you know, if you're upfront about it, I think it's fine. But um, my problem goes back to a little bit with there's so much bourbon now that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned a little bit about bourbon in the next three to four years, just with the huge diversity of bourbon yeah. in terms of where they are, but not so much in the taste. Well, I have to say that rabbit hole and the um, yeah. Oregon spirit was delicious. I mean, it really yeah, it is delicious. And these guys are making it, they're talking it, they're just, they're, uh, you know, if that's anything to go by, Gordon, it is safe, at least in their hands. And there was more yeah, yeah. chosen, but that's curated by Total Wine and more. So it was. it's definitely worth watching. But I think you're enough gambles and whiskey. Mm. And do you know another gamble? If I had, you know, a spare couple of billion pounds. I was in the Bellagio. Right. I was in the Venetian. Right. It's New York, New York. All these casinos with lovely themes of Italian, you know, lakeside or or the Statue of Liberty. And I'm just thinking, if they had a couple of billion, because that's how much the Bellagio cost, you could put together a Scottish casino, Scottish-themed tartan carpets. You've got the best whiskey in the world. Mm -hmm. The pipes at the front door. You know, yeah. maybe the it's like a big I think, castle, I think, Edinburgh Castle style. I mean, you, you can really do go that. To I think I, th I think the other thing is the currency would have to be the Smackaroonie. <laughs> That's the official uh, currency of uh, yeah. The, the a couple of Smackaroonies on that part. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, no, I think you probably could. Um, I mean, in, here's an interesting stat for you as well. I've been to Macau, which is the oh, yes. Las Vegas of China, effectively the former Portuguese. Uh, Colony, for want of a better word, right next to Hong Kong. Now, I'm not sure this stat is correct now, but it was about 10 years ago. Macau takes in 10 times the amount of money that Vegas does. Oh, and there's a Venetian in Macau and there's a, you know. Wow. It's it's another level. Yes. Uh, and uh, well, Macau is quite an impressive place as well. Let's take a Scottish casino out. Listen, if you're listening to this, right end, I'm sure there's more themes we could, we could uh, push there. And I can try and try and get the Scottish casinos in Vegas and Macau. As we are recording, Gordon, the Formula One are going to Vegas. The big, ah, yes. biggest, one of the greatest shows in the world, the big F1. And the yeah. strip was being um, taken over effectively by grandstands. Yeah. It's not it's not gone down that well from what I hear. So, yeah, um, I, yeah I think if you go, because a lot of people go to Vegas, they don't know about Formula One. So, They'll be like, "What's that? this? Is not the strip. This isn't the way I heard it was going to be." And it's, I think, there's a few upset people. Yes, but anyway, that's right. Anyway, let's say uh, let's zip over. Gordon's uh, one of these episodes to Amsterdam. I was a ah, yes. of the Arch Sorry. of Drink, and it was uh, wonderful. It's almost the gold standard of whiskey festivals. The way they put put it together in the Vastergas Platz, mm. old mm. uh, gasometer, mm -hmm. uh, and it's uh, in the round. Wonderful. A series of I've never been, you've always been. I've never been, yes. Maybe you should check it out. It's I'll be there next week, though. To now, uh, this week, I, yeah. I did catch an interview with uh, just our man there, Joel de Kock, who gave us a little overview of the Dutch whiskey scene. But interestingly, I spoke to a young lady called Juicy from Utrecht who runs the malt vault. And mm. if we talk about history in whiskey, the last, well, we're in a big boom at the moment. We talked about gambles. People are gambling and opening up distilleries because the, the whiskey world's booming. Well, the last big bust was in the 1980s. Really, 33, 34 closures. Mm -hmm. Whiskey was seen, Gordon, really as an old man's drink. Mm -hmm. 
it was very unfashionable. It's not what the modern young people wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what was going through my mind when I interviewed Juicy at the Malt Vault. And it'll all become understandable when you hear her chat about her bar, who she's serving, how they're serving it. It is refreshing. I think you'll love Great. it. Here we go. So we'll try and above the music in the background, um, try and talk Dutch whiskey. So I think it'd be lovely to get under the skin of whiskey in the Netherlands. And I can't think of somebody better. An overview um, is this man here. You must know Dutch whiskey inside out. What's your name, sir? And what do you do? Well, I am Joel. I am the ambassador for your McLeod distillers. You're actually my colleague. <laughs> yes, but I, I live in the Netherlands. Yes, I, 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 I am you in the Netherlands. <laughs> That's, so, uh, could you paint? Could you give a, an overview of whiskey in the Netherlands? Is it blends? Is it single malts? Is it by city? Or, just you know, give us the the grand picture, if you can, of whiskey in the Netherlands. Yeah, of course. Well, nowadays it's uh, popping up everywhere. Um, Whiskey from the Netherlands wasn't that popular, um, it wasn't that famous, and there weren't many distilleries who were actually making it. If you look at the Netherlands, um, you'll see a bright history of Geneva. Uh, the Dutch have been distilling spirits for a long time, using juniper berries, making Geneva, um, and with really high portions of uh, malted barley. So if you look at what Geneva was, it's actually quite good whiskey, but with some juniper berries in it. So. If you look nowadays, um, not so much distilleries anymore, but um, you see many popping up in the east. Okay. Mostly in the east, for example, uh, uh, Eastmoor or Kalkwijk, um, they make beautiful uh, whiskies. Um, you see um, uh, young women actually being master distiller, uh, maybe 28 years old. Well, she's, a, uh, she's from Kalkwijk, for example, um, but also uh, Friske Inder from the north um, of the Netherlands. Um, from the south you find some distilleries no it's popping up and so it's, it's, it's all because of the whiskey boom you see worldwide in the Netherlands and when did the whiskey boom really kick in with the Netherlands you said it wasn't really a, 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 a category as much in the Netherlands is it relatively recently popular whiskey it, it is very popular well I, I, I see of course a whiskey festival The Hague whiskey festival uh, in uh, North Netherlands uh, are the two most famous uh, whiskey festivals in the Netherlands I guess right now we are at the Art of Rings which I think at the moment is also becoming a very significant whiskey event in the Netherlands not only whiskey also cocktails and different kind of spirits but whiskey as you can see over here it's it's yes it's huge as well a huge thing is it single malt mostly or what kind of whiskey is oh mostly single malt because what you see with the new distilleries that are popping up they're not so much making blends they're making um single malt to go straight for the 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 unique quality of their house style of course um and you'll find uh that uh also they make some some geneva sometimes uh, and make some other spirits um no, but it's definitely most of the time it's uh, it's single malt. Huh? Okay, and just to sort of bring it down to your level, um, what what are you doing on a daily basis, and how are you getting whiskey round uh, the Netherlands? What what what, what do you do? Do uh, in my Ian McLeod van? Yeah, look, I'm the Batman for Ian McLeod. <laughs> I have my own van. It doesn't look like a Batman mobile, but okay, <laughs> okay. But I have a beautiful, beautiful van. I go around the Netherlands. I do tastings at shops from the centre to the north to the south. Everywhere in the Netherlands, you can go by car. In two hours, almost three hours, everywhere. We're a small country. 
and um, um, but I also do entrees. So I visit high-end bars, for example. Yeah. Um, and if you look at Glengoyne and Tamdu, um, those bars I'm looking for are high-end. Sometimes Michelin star level even. And um, but also uh, tastings at, uh, at at shop owners for the clients. Yes. And you were saying the other day that uh, cocktails. You know, oh, yeah. you know, because whiskey, we, it's lovely to drink it straight, but part of the future of whiskey is cocktails. Well, Let's face it. Exactly. And look at cooking, of course. Um, you can find some ingredients which are great to eat or drink on itself, like whiskey. But if you look at when you combine beautiful ingredients together, from citrus to, 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 to rosemary to other yeah, herbs or botanicals, um, and with, 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 with the juices, um, but as long as there's quality, you can use beautiful cocktails with it. Look at a, a Rob Roy with a 10 to 12 or a, a Glengoyne 10 in a, in, a, in, 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 in an old fashioned or, or, a, or a sour. And it's quite a big scene in, in Amsterdam, the cocktail scene. Exactly. I think um, Amsterdam, one of, one, of, one of the most vibrant cocktail scenes in the world, is not like in London or in New York. Um, mm. It's not on the same level. We're, we're a few years behind, but I think. Um, we're definitely relevant in the world, yeah. And if you, um, MD, listen to this, what fancies a trip to the Netherlands? Could you maybe give us a bar, a couple of bars that we yeah. could maybe pop into? It doesn't need to be Amsterdam, just good ones. Exactly. Well, if you go to Amsterdam, I think many listeners will go to Amsterdam. Go to Flying Dutchman if you want really good cocktails. Um, go to Fejoa. Because that's where all the bartenders go. Ah, ah that's a go. This is, yeah, this exactly. is what we're doing now. We're that's exactly, exactly. If you want to go really, really high end, go to Fitz's Bar from, uh, um, I don't know the hotel name, but Fitz's Bar is mm-hmm. a, you can find some Glengoyne 21 over there as well on the shelf. Wow. Um, if you go outside of Amsterdam, in The Hague, for example, go to the Maltfold, which is a really nice whiskey bar. The Maltfold also has a Utrecht, a Maltfold bar. Great whiskey specialist. We just talked to Juicy. She's or, fantastic. Exactly. Juicy's fantastic. And I, I met her when she started working at the Malt Vault many years ago. And right now, she's actually a significant figure in the whiskey industry in the Netherlands, I would say. Talking about the future of whiskey, she said four of them working in that bar, all under age 28. Yeah. And a lot of the clientele are women. It's and, just fantastic. Exactly. And they organize like like women's events once a, once a few months and only women come there. And But it, it's also women like whiskey. It's, it's a brave spirit for everyone. That's right. Yeah. It's much more welcoming yeah. than it has been in the past. Yeah. Uh, Joel, the future of whiskey, is it just going to get bigger and bigger in the Netherlands, you think? Is I that guess where it's going? so. I guess that's exactly where it's going. So you find all the categories which are interesting and uh, becoming popular like the rum, mezcal, goes well with cocktails, but also tasting for, for all this, this pure what whiskey is doing right now it's um, this is not the end this is I guess uh, still the beginning from a really vibrant whiskey scene in the Netherlands but I guess also worldwide oh brilliant Joel listen we've got so much to so much to do here you're a very busy man today you have been running all over the place so let's go now let's get back into the action cheers Joel thank you cheers Gordon now it's always great to hear about whiskey and how it's been served, who's serving it. Hello, what's your name? My name is Juicy. And where's the bar? The, uh, the bar is the Malt Vault and it's in Utrecht. Oh, I love that name, the Malt Vault. Yes. So, so mostly whiskey you're serving? Yes, we I would say 95% of what we have is single malt and probably 70% of that is scotch and the rest is a little bit from all over the world. That's fine, we can, we can handle that. So um, what's the 
what's the kind of average customer? What are they looking for in Utrecht when they come in for a whiskey? Well, actually, most of our customers either have never drank whiskey before, or uh, they are not your classic whiskey drinker. We don't really get the, you know, older generation leather couches and cigar type of people. We do get that too. Um, our team is composed of only girls at the moment. We are four girls, all below 28 years old. Uh, yeah, and when people come in, it's I would say very not intimidating as um, other whiskey bars could be. The core concept of what we do is dividing things based on what they taste like rather than where they come from. Brilliant. You're speaking your language here. Yeah. Carry on. Yes. Yeah, so. Which is, and we always explain to customers, but basing it on facts. We never give too deep or detailed uh, tasting notes. We would rather just explain what's on the label and how whiskey is made. And then, you know, taste is very subjective. We don't like to tell people what they should drink or how they should drink them. We just give them the fact to under facts to understand what they like. Yeah. And and is it working? This. I mean, style so, of, so far so you're good. You're speaking your language, it sounds absolutely fantastic. Yes, indeed. High flavour, young demographic, not... And a lot of ladies, which is lovely. And there are a lot of ladies in there. Also as customers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of them are. Are they? Fantastic. Yeah, indeed. And what's, what's a couple of whiskies finally, what has been popular? in oh the last God. couple of weeks or last couple well, of months? the way we do it, we mostly let people relax and sit back and we pick for them based on their on the flavor profile that they tell us they want to try or that they like mm -hmm. or also based on things they don't like, as in we exclude those. We like to order, well, I like to order anything, basically, as long as it's good quality whiskey, we like to do it that way. And then people like to explore where they come to us, you know. We don't have things like your Lagavulin 8 or Lafroic 10 Select or whatever it is. We like to have more interesting things, limited releases, uh, independently bottled whiskies so that people can try things that they've never tried before and explore. So there's not really something that is popular. Okay. We like to have a wide, wide variety of different tastes, because of course every taste is different and every person is different. How's the smoky ones going down? Uh, ones? Yeah, I would say most of the customers that we have like the beaded ones. I personally very much like the beaded ones, and of course when I do the ordering it, my taste does get in the way of what I order, but we <laughs> like to have a wide variety, so... I would say the most popular things are always like the sherry bombs, the port casks, the heavily peated ones, and on the other hand, the super, super soft ones. And for the rest of the world, are you going by country again? I'm sure it's by flavor, but where in the rest of the world are you, are you going to bring the whiskey back? Or what? From which parts of the world? Uh, everywhere. We have Swedish, Italian, French, German, Japanese, uh, wow. Icelandic, Swiss. Uh, Taiwanese, um, we had a Chinese one at some point that will probably come back in a bit. We do have the Irish, not as many as we have the Scotch, but we do have the Irish. Very few bourbons, not really specialized in the bourbons, but if there's something special, we like to have it. We like to have one of everything. Well, I think that's a fantastic. This is almost the future of whiskey. I think it's a fantastic thing that you're doing. So Thank I'd you. love to see the bar, uh, but uh, in the meanwhile, Hopefully, much, much success with your, with your bar. Thank you very much. Brilliant, thank you. And we'll see you there. Yes. How are you? I'm very well. What's your name, sir? Stephen. Stephen Cameron. And Stephen, you have just given me a lovely, a lovely dram. What, what have I just had? 
So you just had Old Pulteney 15 years old, uh, which is uh, so part of our uh, the core range from the Pulteney Distillery. Initial maturation in uh, ex-bourbon casks oh. for uh, around around 12 years, and then the final three years uh, spent in first fill, Spanish oak, first fill or also sherry casks. Oh, that's, that's, that's you get that lovely wee spice to it as well. You do. You get the the, the, the spiciness from from the sherry, obviously, but also combined with the uh, the, the natural like fresh maritime profile of of, uh, of Pulteney, which is the kind of the signature um, style, the the, yeah, the DNA of Pulteney. Which I love that. It's got lots, lovely body to it as well. I love that. It does, yeah. So Pulteney is like a very, very particular stills. Like we we have a a very odd wash still, which has a massive, massive boil ball, which uh, really encourages that reflux. Yeah. But at the same time, the alcohol vapors are uh, uh, cooled in um, warm tubs. Oh yeah. So that that gives you that gives you that 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 body uh, and that oiliness that is that is typical of of that type of um, of um, of cooling. And where is old Pulteney? So Pulteney is uh, Pulteney Distilleries in Wick. So Wick is 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 one one of the northernmost uh, coastal cities in in Scotland. Uh, so uh, top 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 northeast of Scotland, uh, beaten by the elements. Uh, the, the the cliffs of the North Sea are literally just a few hundred yards away from the warehouse. And that's another thing uh, with with Pulteney uh, is that we so we call ourselves the, the maritime malt, but we we do actually have a a solid case because uh, every single drop of Old Pulteney single malt whiskey is matured on site in those warehouses just right next to the to, to the shore uh, so uh, so in, in that sense we uh, I would say we have a, a, a strong case to, to call ourselves a, a true coastal distillery and I can't deny I had a couple of our, I had one more earlier on today it was a Balblier but you on this gantry if you just walk along what else have we got because that's, that's a lovely so range the, of whiskies so the, the uh, international bev- beverage group formerly co- formerly known as Inverhouse has uh, five distilleries in Scotland so Pulteney be, being probably the, the most famous the most yeah. established one but we also have Speyburn and Speyside uh, in Rothes so just not far from Glen Grand Distillery, um, typical space side, like medium bodied, fruit forward. Again, quite quite oily. Uh, really great dram. Completely underrated as well, in my opinion. Uh, then we have another distillery in Aberdeenshire called Knock Dew. Uh, so Knock Dew, oh, the distillery is called Knock Dew. The single malt is called Anok. Uh, for um, obvious reasons, in, in 1990, when they launched that that, that single malt brand, um, they thought that calling it Knock Do Single Malt would be a little bit too confusing. Yeah. So they went for Anok. Uh, Anok me- meaning the hill. Um, ah, and, yes. uh, and that's so one for the pronunciation. In Scotch whiskies, there's certain whiskies you look at and think, "How do you pronounce?" Uh, exactly. So, yeah, the, 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 the C, the C is the, the, the C is silent. Uh-huh. You know, the first C is silent. Uh, so yeah, so Nockdew, uh-huh. which is technically a Highland whisky, but it's really, really on the on, on just on the other side of the border with Speyside. Ultimately, in terms of style, you, you could really pass this whiskey as a space side. It's probably more space side than some space sides. <laughs> uh, so, uh, producing both um, unpeated and peated spirit. Oh. Um, so that's that's another one of them. And then, of, of course, we have Val Blair, uh, probably a, another bigger name uh, within yeah. the within the range. Um, very old distillery, one of the oldest in the Northern Highlands. So, originally founded in 1790. Oh, goodness. Uh, very traditional, again, like uh, kind of a, a bolder spirit. It's a very, it's a very, uh, again, quite, quite, quite oily, quite thick, um, and um, unpeated, but still, uh, yeah, bu- bu- a bulky, bolder, bolder spirit, which does extremely well in in uh, in, in sherry. Oh, I love it. Um, so, so yeah, so these are the our four single malts, uh, sing- four single malt brands. 
We do have one more distillery, which at the moment is not being bottled as, a, as an official single malt called Balmenic. Balmenic is also in Speyside. Uh, we do produce Karun Gin over there, so ah. that's that's the that's the brand that people know. However, we do produce a lot of spirits, top quality spirit. I may ask, I may add, uh, at Balmenic Distillery. At the moment, no official single malt brand. Right. Uh, who knows? I am. Uh, I think everyone's kind of uh, hoping that something happens in the future. That's, that's, that's a fascinating insight. What a, what a tremendous insight. And that's three days in. And you've been speaking for <laughs> quite a lot of those. So, Stephen, thank you so much for a little uh, look under the lid here. It's been, you're very welcome, Gordon. And, and you're not a bad neighbour as well. It's been great. Well, I mean, you, 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 your, whiskey, your whiskies are uh, not too bad, I, mean, I must say. We have had a nice exchange of... Uh, we'll leave it there. It's been very good. Stephen, cheers. Thank you. Ah, he's a good guy. Stephen, well done for finishing our Dutch section there. And thanks to Joel. And just on that, uh, Jussé from Utrecht, Gordon. Four yeah. members of staff, all under 28, all women, serving mostly women, whiskey in Utrecht. Gordon, right. if that's not the future of whiskey, I don't know what is. I was absolutely delighted to hear that was a thing happening. That's brilliant. That really is good. That's really, really good. And look, I'm all for I'm all for uh, you know, doing really different things with whiskey. And you know, the, the more whiskey continues to engage at a serving level, yes, not a brand level, you know, brands are all, you know, that's all very important. But actually in a bar, how a bartender communicates to a consumer about whiskey is so important. Uh, um, and as you heard there, she was saying, they generally don't They ask for the flavour. What do you like? Then they will go uh -huh. and bring the whiskey over by flavour as opposed to yeah. by name or by reputation. Region or whatever. No, and I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer that depending on how you sell whiskey, whether it's in a bar, you know, or in a sort of on you know a shop yeah regionality is not how you sell it you sell should be selling it by taste and it's great to go into i was in the royal mile whiskies about three weeks ago and i'm just playing a bit dumb and i was i'm just looking for a really nice after dinner whiskey and he the, the fool marks the guy he went and picked up three different whiskies one of which was ours which was lovely and um i uh walked out without buying anything but um it was just nice to sort of see how they do it, which was really good. Well, that's, that brings me on to another little section. Um, and this has been around for years and years and years. I did an event at the Old 100 in Rose Street in Edinburgh uh, about a month ago, and they were doing it. Um, yeah. And that's a nice bar. I was speaking, and I was in the Northcote Manor, which is a Michelin star restaurant in, nice. in Middle England. Tough old, tough gigs, you Vegas. Isn't it? And they were doing this, and they are starting to do it. And then I was speaking to, I was doing a training for Dakota in Edinburgh, South Queensbury, and they wanted to do it. And Gordon, what they were doing and what, what they want to get into is whiskey flights. Not just one oh. whiskey, but you ask yourself, they, they, they want to curate three whiskies. People come in, a little story, a little flavour journey, and uh, not necessarily driven by the customer. It's like, let the bar suggest these flights now. We have got a whiskey connoisseur right now, Gordon. I've got some suggestions. If you were going to do, I've called it Dundas flights or easy flight or Gordon Dundas curates 
three whiskies for a flight. Come fly with me. Gordon Dundas, and this is off the top of the old bonds. Yeah, of course it is. It's whiskey unscripted. You've mentioned it already. Let's start easy. Ian McLeod flight. Three whiskies that showcases this um, company. You know, you're going to have to miss, miss some out. Three or four whiskies? No, no, three. Only three. Only three. Like, I think you have to have a Glengoyne in there. So I'd probably go with a Glengoyne 12. I think it epitomizes Glengoyne beautifully, happily. Yeah. Lovely, lovely style. Um, I think what I would then probably go for would be something like a an Isle of Sky 18, I think. Something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I think that would be an, because I want to showcase how good blended whiskey is. Isle of Sky 18's got that little bit extra richness coming through. Um, and although, yes, I think I'd probably do that. And then probably finish on something a little bit off the wall, maybe something a little bit smoke-heady or, uh, okay. or a first fill example of a Tamdu, something like that. Maybe a, uh, you know, a, uh, a Tamdu Dalby Alley dram or oh, something like yes. that. Right, that's and nice. you've got three really different whiskies, you know, one blended in there. <gasps> and I think it shows a little bit about the history of the, the company. Isle of Sky representing our sort of blended business, our bulk sort of style that we used to do, and our two distilleries, which were fundamental to changing Ian McLeod to what it is now. I think it's a great, that's a great flight, Gordon. We'll, we'll come back yeah. to Isle of Sky at another time. 1933, yeah. the actual Ian McLeod starts the business. Okay, your spiritual homeland a little bit, because that's where you used to work, uh, Isla. Oh. Whiskey's from Isla, Gordon. Oh, oh, really? It's a flight. People are coming. You're the barman. People are coming in and just want a little flavour of Isla. It's not the definitive uh, okay. whiskies. It's just how do you give them a little... I don't know much about Isla. You give me a flight. This is what these bars are all... Well, I mean, I would probably start with... Um, I mean, you have to have a Laphroaig 10 in there, I think. You have to have a Laphroaig 10. But I would also show... I'd show either side. So I'd have a Brickladdy in there, which is non-peated. So you've got mm-hmm. a non-peated Brickladdy, a Laphroaig 10... Uh, Lafroyte 10s, I think, at 40. The Brickladdy's at 50. And then I'd probably go for, I mean, you could go for an Octomore to show the highest peated level in a whiskey, but um, I think uh, I'd probably go for something a little bit different. So it's probably one of the smaller independenty ones, maybe a Kilhoman in there. Oh, nice. Uh, just to show the sort of newest distillery as well, not Ardner no. who is, but the second newest distillery. Just probably something like that. Just a flavour. Now, you've mentioned it already. You put a blend in the Isle of Skye. Um, not just all high-end whiskies, but blends. Could you put up three whiskey blended whiskies to show someone that come into these bars or hotels what that blended world is like? They're maybe used to single malt, but, hey, Scotland was always famous for its yeah, blends. I probably could. I'd probably take some from around the world. I would take a... I'd start with a blend which is not one of ours, but a blend which I think is, I'd love to see more of it, actually. Uh, it's a fabulous blend. Bailey Nickel Jarvie. I think that's a brilliant blend. Um, we'd probably also then have something in there that I think represents the craft of blending, I think, from another part of the world. Maybe a Hibiki Ooh, in there. Yes. I think a Hibiki 12 would be a really good example of you know, a different take on blending. Um, and then, you know, 
you could finish on something like an Alice Guy 30 for sure, which just shows the depth of age of Scottish blends. But what I probably would love to, to take would be a, and I've speaking with Neil Ridley about this recently, is uh, one of the Scottish blends from the 1960s or 70s, like a yeah. white horse blend. Amazing blends those because you've got to remember back in the 60s and 70s all the decent single malt wasn't being produced for single malt it was being it was also going into blends so 60s and 70s blends and even 80s blends in the UK you know the sort of what you would call more standard blends some of them were amazing um (laughs) and I don't know the order if I would do that but I would want to put in something like that to just showcase the uh showcase the sort of um depth of that's brilliant. Blends from 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 the sort of maybe the the best era of blended Scotch whiskey, which might be the sixties, seventies, and early eighties. Ah, uh, yeah. And as you were speaking, I'm just thinking to myself, collectability. Mm, I must check out blends from the sixties and see if they're available. Oh, but I bet they're I mean, I think, more and more popular. Oh, they're fabulous, and um, it's you know down to the fact that single malt wasn't wasn't a thing back then, so there were. They had might have had some old single malt and they weren't keeping it for it because there wasn't a market for it per se. So it was going into blends. Well, listen, that is as what do you call it, a theme that has emerged in the last few months, Gordon, about bartenders asking me about flights. What would be and yours? I is with the blends. Gordon, the Dallas flight. The, the Dallas. all on red flight. <laughs> with it all on Straight red. From Vegas, baby. Um yeah. Yeah, I love a sherry whiskey. So that would be a Tam Du, Glen Farkless, Glen Jonach, a real Oloroso sherry whiskey for number one. Glen going 25. Yes, Glen going 25. That style. And then, yeah, maybe across the Atlantic. I have to say that rabbit hole was an absolute tremendous whiskey. But it's just You've something clearly gone world. down a rabbit hole with that, haven't you? I have, I have indeed. But a, a, a new style whiskey. I've even got a. I see a Rieger's across here as well. Okay, um, Rieger, yeah. Rieger's nice, a sort of American rye, uh-huh, spicy uh-huh. whiskey. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I do think going back in time is lovely. You know, uh-huh. Glenn Goyne used to find it's went to Cutty Sark a lot. And yes. I think an old Cutty Sark, uh, I'd like to get my hands in one of those as well. So would that be in there? At Dallas? Or would we just go to Isla? Hell, let's go to Isla. Finish with a Bowmore. I had a lovely Bowmore finished in an Oloroso Sherry Castle. That's maybe what I would do. Maybe it's Oloroso casks that's been matured in, but different from different countries, mm-hmm. different styles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good I'm idea. Doing. Yeah, you could, have a, so you could do a, you could do a, a, a Cavalan. You yes. could do a Japanese whiskey, so a Yamazaki 18, quite expensive, but you could do that. You could do a Cavalan, you could do a Tamdu, three Oloroso Sherry Cats. That's the idea. I'm just thinking this as we go. So there we go, God. That's, that's, well, that, that was um, what's happening in bars. We've just got a couple of minutes um, before we have the um, You've Arrived at Your Whiskey Destination. Oh, well, back by popular gone. demand. We've had literally one letter about it. But we have, uh, we have a little excerpt from a trip to Aberdeen and it's one of the great whiskey bars in Scotland called oh, The Grill. it's a great whiskey bar. Have you been? I have. Of course you have. Of course it's you brilliant. Have. It's a real... It's open. really unassuming as well. You just walk in and it's a bit like... It's brilliant. It's a fabulous bar. When a, were you there? Last Friday. This was a midnight and I just realised that a storm had come in and all the trains had been cancelled the next morning. So I thought, well, no point going to bed. So it was a great night in the grill, and it's one of these 
directors of the great whiskey bars um, been around the world and we'll try and do more. You did one from Delilah's, which I thought was great. And I suppose the grill, you know, Delilah's, the pot still, tried to build up a little library of these bars where we have an interview or two in. And here's just a few minutes of the grill. For me, the history behind this bar is, is, is huge. Um, oh. um, what it was to Aberdeen, the amount of whiskies that, that the Eddie, bar holds. Eddie, we're in the bar. And that's, excuse me, how long has this bar been going? It was 100, wait a minute, 153 years. What? But what it was, when it, the reason it's called the grill is because when it first opened, it was actually a restaurant. But I think it was 1926 or 1928, it got turned into a bar. Right. I never knew and it was And that's why it's called the grill, because it was a place you come for food. Yeah, it's a restaurant. Never and they never changed its name. Right. Every time you walk. People come in and think about the restaurant because it's called the grill. Yeah. Well, if I lost the phone up, remember last week, I asked if she could book a table. And I thought. <laughs> you, can date, you can date a table. <laughs> I, well, but I thought, I better check. And I said, you know, it's not a restaurant. No, no, but it's with one whiskey, I thought. Now, you can hear pie or a toasty. I know you didn't want to appear on the podcast, but just if you had to describe this bar, how would you describe it? You've worked here for how many years? And what's nine your name? Nine and a half, Meg. Meg has worked for nine and a half years in the grill. Mental. Can you tell me what it looks like if you can't see it? Cause nobody it's a can right see good old-fashioned bar. Good. And can I just say, if you walk past this in Aberdeen's, is it Union Street outside? Yeah. This does not look. No. Oh, God, no. It doesn't look like it. Does not. Does not. The outside yes. is this the outside looks, looks, yes. The outside looks like it's just a crummy old one. It does. Come inside and you do like yeah. a little bit. You just said it looks but like a. But then it's good. People will say, oh my goodness, what a surprise. Yeah. Because from the outside, it really does not look nothing. But when they come in, they think, wow. Wow. And who was the no, guys there's, there's well. Who was the guys that were in tonight for the, the, the theatre? The Scottish National Orchestra. We're sitting there about 20, 30 of them? No, the 10, 15. Oh, they're going to be near not. Would they Oh, that's my, it's my card, I think. Yeah. But oh, thank you. Oh, my. There's a couple of the guys, they always come here, you know? But they're just lovely. During the day, you're a lot of pensioners. They get a pensioner from now. They'll get a nip of grouse for two pounds. Nice. They get Isla Sky, ah. Bells, yes. White and Mackays. Mm. There are two pound to senior citizen. Got one wee man comes in every morning. You could. He's normally there when you open the door. Isla Sky's his tickle. Oh, good for him. God bless him. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. And yeah. um, and how long you've you been working here for nine and a half years? Nine and a half years. Yes. But before that you did mention Bells. There was a, another bar in Aberdeen. Thirty six years. Come on. Year. She's not a, a spring chick. How many years? Thirty six. That's forty five years in the industry. 40. Well, even longer not, because I worked as a waitress in the beer barrel, Park Street. You know the Sultan Arms? I do, yes. Well, <laughs> the lounge part there. So I started bar work all together in 1972. 
So you've been working in bars in Aberdeen 50 years. for 50 years? Yeah. 51 years? Huh? I've only been wow. full time since 1979. 1979? <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Mate, that's amazing. It is amazing. And uh, so you must have seen every type of person, every yes. type of... Oil industry person. Yeah. Oils. I remember when I first started working up in the Bells and guys would come off the rigs and you get all these kit bags and you think, bloody hell, climbing all the kit bags to kind of get round the tables. See, now you go on thing to hear that bark again. I know, that's, that's, you know? And that's the sad thing about Aberdeen, is Aberdeen's yeah. kind of changed oh, in that kind of context. I, what do you mean? You see the fact is that how populated and how busy it was um, yeah. through that oil industry and right. that kind of credit card um, cash expenses from the guys from Houston, Texas, Norway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, That's where I would say you notice a big difference yeah. now. Yeah. There's near the same amount of works credit cards going about yeah. it, but yeah. there used to be. Uh-huh. You know, you'd always see guys putting a card behind the bar for like expenses, but yeah. that's few and far between now. Is that right? Yeah. Well, listen, I'm sorry, you're, you're still working. It's the quite all right. Right, thank you. Meg, thank you very much. Your name is, sir? Chris. Chris, thank you very much. Eddie, thank you very much. Thank you. And for, uh, is it a whiskey and scripted imp- impromptu from the, the grill in Aberdeen, which I think is a, a place, if you come here, you must, you must come to. You must come to. Yes, it is the, one of the best whiskey bars in Scotland. Yeah. Um, you look at what we've got in Edinburgh, Glasgow, Inverness, Dundee, Perth, the grill is one of the top five, without a doubt, whiskey bars in Scotland. Brilliant. Idiot. Can't say any better than that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And can I just say thank you to our man Eddie, Eddie Bruce there, our sales supremo in the north, for really helping me out with that interview. <laughs> Does that bring it all back, Gordon? Ah, it's good bar. I've had a couple of drams in there over the years. Very oh, good. Certainly worth worth the. You would never want to go in if you didn't know it was a nice whiskey bar. This looks a bit, you may say, rough around the edges. But trust me, mm-hmm. get to the grill in Aberdeen. It's great. Gordon! Never. What's the phrase about a book and its cover? Never oh, I read something. Yeah, anyway. Judge, yeah. judge it. Don't, don't, judge. Uh, don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, absolutely. Gordon, we're about to uh, finish the show with uh, You Have Arrived at Your Whiskey Destination. Oh, favourite, favourite. I have just looked through my malt whiskey yearbook 2023, stopped at a page, contact us, and I've followed the directions. So you're in Glasgow, Gordon. You've got yes. your car running. You're at St George's Cross. I would like you to drive up the Great Western Roads, one of the great roads of Scotland, three miles long. You're going to pass the Glasgow Botanical Gardens. You're on the A82. You're heading north out of Glasgow. You can wave to the Loch Lomond Distillery. You're going to pass Mm -hmm. Luss. You're going to pass Mm -hmm. Arachar. You're now on the A83. You're going to sweep around Loch Long. You're now heading south on the A83. You're going to head, keep on heading south on the A83. I'm not going to tell you where you're going to go, but you're going to pass in a town, Hazelburg Business Park, at the Fiddler's Inn. You're going to come off the A83, and you're going to go past the Kinloch Bar, up Saddle Street, and you're going to turn right onto the B842 High Street. Now... I think you know where you are, but you've got a 50-50 here. 
you have arrived at your whiskey destination. But where is it? <laughs> it's, it's one of two. Yes. Glen Scotia. Glen Scotia Distillery, you see one of two Campbelltown distilleries, and you are correct, Gordon. Well done. Yes, yes. What gave it away there? Because I was hoping you might go for Springbank. I don't know. I just was like, I, I was trying, I'm not sure. It was a guess. Yes. Uh, I can't remember really. Uh, I've got one for you, though. I am ready for the whiskey destination. Okay. You're at Glasgow Airport. You're boarding the KL1474. I've been on that one. You're going to land and you're going to head south from the city of your landing. You're going to take the A2 to Utrecht. Ah. And then you're going to take the A27 heading south through Gorinchem, heading continuing south towards the Belgian border, Oosterhout and Breda. And then you're going to take the A58 heading eastbound to Nurhoven, and then you're going to head south again to the N260 uh, through Alphen to a place called Baal Hertog, and you are going to arrive at your whiskey destination. Finished. Come on, Gordon. That is absolutely... The thing we mentioned, Belgium, I thought, are we in Philly territory? Are we... You're still in... In the Netherlands. I have looking for a Dutch distillery. And I know there is a couple. Gordon, I am going to have to get out my car, admit defeat, and get the old map out. Where have you taken me to? I have, I have not reached my destination. <laughs> Zudam. Zudam oh, Distilleries. It's Millstone. Millstone. <sighs> so, no, that was a difficult one. That was a very difficult one. I'm sorry. No, I gave you a uh, nice... But I wanted to... Uh, incorporate where I was heading to this weekend, but um, yeah, Zudam is a, 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 Millstone are producing really good whiskey, um, and uh, it's just a really nice, uh, really nice. If you've not tried it, absolutely try it. Not yeah. a bad way to finish the episodes. We had a Tamdu 18, we were drinking the cast strength version, and I was drinking a Kansas City whiskey, West Bottoms. We've been to Vegas, been to Amsterdam, been to Aberdeen. Now you've taken us to the southern part of uh, the Netherlands, and I had you in Campbelltown. Very easy one, but it was a 50-50. Gordon, yep. it's a long episode, but listen, when we get together, We've got to do this because we don't get together enough. You're off. No, you're, you're right. off to the uh, the Hague and Inter Whiskey. I am. That's the Hague this weekend. So we'll see a lot of our uh, friends out there, which will be great. Back for a few days on, um, and, uh, I'm, and then I'm out to Inter Whiskey in Frankfurt next weekend, um, and then. And then I'm heading over to Korea before Christmas as well. So it's a busy run-in, as they say. And you're off to Switzerland as well, aren't you? Yes, I was going to say you're poor soul, but it's not. There's a gag there. Yes, I am. I'm going down to England later this week, doing a lot in the middle part of England the week after. And then, yes, the Zurich, the Swiss Whiskey Festival in Baden. Nice. I'll bring you back a... Oh, hopefully a nice Christmas month. Bring me back a Toblerone. Yes. Or sure. some milk and chocolate. Lovely. I'll Excellent. bring you back some fried chicken. Beautiful. Wonderful. It's another episode, Series 7, Episode 7 of Whiskey Unscripted. Get the music going. Gordon, great to speak to you. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Whiskey trail. Coasting ahead. 
from a whiskey trail. 